From the Circular Economy Studio, you're listening to the Don't Call It Sustainable podcast. Join us as we speak with organizations who use the circular economy as a tool to stimulate economic value while also regenerating natural ecosystems. It truly is the best of both worlds. Now here's your host, Kyle J. Ritchie. After a long and busy summer, we are now finally back with episode number three. And we are joined today by the amazing Carolyn Butler, who is first and foremost, I gotta give her credit, she is a power mom, and you'll soon see why. She is a circular retail boss, and she's also the founder of Borrow Baby, which is a children's clothing retail store that's doing some amazing things when it comes to applying the principles of the circular economy in business. So to all you listeners out there, thank you for joining in. Let's get started. Why don't we start off by just having you tell us a bit about the company and uh, what you're most excited about right now. Okay, so Borrow Baby is America's first circular retailer, and we've started out um, really focused on the children's market, um, but quickly expanding into other products that service moms, American moms. Um, And everyone always asks, and even in our stores, people will come in and say, what's a circular retailer? There's a lot of questions on what circularity means. Right. Um, and so we explain it in this way. Basically, we say, you know, we sell clothing um, and at any point in time when you no longer need it, which for children is usually a window of three to six months, you can mm-hmm. return it back to us for free. And then we give you back a credit worth 20 percent for making that choice um, to send it back to us so that we can responsibly um, manage the life cycle of the garment. So we incentivize people to send clothing back to us. When we get it back, we clean and repair it. Uh, and then we list it online on our e-commerce platform for rent. And by rent, we, sometimes we use the term lease. It's really long-term leasing. It's anywhere like four to five months at a time, depending on how long the child fits into the garments. So then we we go forward and we rent the clothing as many times as possible. And then I always tell people what really makes us different outside of like the whole buyback incentive and renting right. is that we can actually recycle 100% of our post-consumer clothing. So at any point in time when we get clothing back, Um, and we can't reuse it, we're able to recycle it. And we're the first company in the U.S. to compost clothing at commercial scale, uh, which we do right here in New Jersey at a a local farm. So the reason we're able to recycle clothing, and a lot of, I think the term recycling is is kind of greenwashed as well. People think that like bundling up and and exporting waste is somehow recycling. But (laughs) when I'm talking about recycling, I'm talking about physical or chemical recycling of of a garment. Um, Usually for clothing, it's physical. Um, And the reason we're able to do that is because we only source uh, ethically made organic fibers. So, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but the challenges with recycling clothing are really based on, on the fact that they're usually monstrous hybrids of synthetic and natural materials that, you know, it's not, it's not economically viable. So we focus on uh, fibers that are not only materially safe and non-toxic, which is important if you're putting them on an infant or a child, um, but also better for the environment. So, uh, and we take that responsibility. So really no other brand or company truly takes on the responsibility of making sure all their post-consumer waste is not only recollected, but recycled. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think if I've ever in my life heard of a, a clothing company that actually not only takes back its clothing that is previously sold. I know Patagonia and a bunch of other large industries do that, but I've, I've never in my life ever heard of, of a company actually composting their clothing once it's reached that end point. 
Correct. Yeah. And that, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that my background is quite different. I'm not a marketer. I don't come from retail. Um, I'm a chemical engineer. So if anyone knows how to manage materials in a recirculation <laughs> cycle, it's a chemical engineer. So yeah, I'm um, willing to bet that has a lot to do with the success of, of, of this life cycle management that you've, you've really honed in on. So did you get a lot of um, a lot of positive response from actually having that featured piece in the yeah, circular economy for dummies? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, we were still a very early stage company. So actually, I met Eric through uh, GreenBiz. So we were one of the fi- finalists in uh, circularity. Was it 20? Circulate way back in the mm-hmm. day. So we launched the company in June of 2020. And we were one of the finalists in that pitch. Um, oh, and he reached, he reached out after and was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, this is actually circular, you know, not just like a buzzword or, or marketing greenwashing. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So he asked uh, if I would participate uh, in the book. And it was fantastic. I mean, Amazon bestseller. It's pretty pretty amazing to be a part yeah. of it. So. Yeah, I was I was pretty thrilled to see that it was bestseller on Amazon. And, you know, one of our goals was just getting more exposure to this idea of the circular economy as a, a business structure. Um, and usually you see such a conflict between environmental priorities and economic priorities. And I, I jumped on this because it, it makes so much sense and it can make both sides really happy. So I was under the impression that only musicians tour across the country, but I recently found out that is not the case. Tell me more. What we did was we actually traveled cross country and the goal was really twofold. One was to test different markets and to see if our product resonated or not. Um, and that's really important for us for understanding like where we fit and how we can change our offering to really, you know, relieve pain points of the American mom. Right. Um, and so that we, that was part of the the trip. But the other part was kind of similar to your goal with Circular Economy for Dummies. We wanted to find other companies and startups that were focusing on circular economy uh, and meet with them and talk to them about, um, you know, what what they're working on. So that was like a cross industry. Um, so it wasn't wasn't fashion focused at all, actually. So we talked okay. about the electronics sector uh, and agriculture in the built environment, um, you know, in in marketing and how important storytelling is to really like uh, sell the story of circular economy so people can understand it. So it was it was amazing. So we met probably 10 different entrepreneurs slash business owners and to, and kind of told their story and so that that will all be released hopefully one video per week for the next foreseeable future and this continues so when we did the pop-ups we really saw where we resonated where our purpose and mission resonated and that's one of the right. reasons why we opened up a discovery shop in san francisco and we're likely making our way back to colorado but there was a lot of places we didn't hit that are really at the forefront of circularity, like on a citywide basis or town or right. just individuals and businesses. So there's a lot, a lot more uh, area to cover there. So I'm sure we'll be back out on the road. But it was a, it was interesting. I lived in an RV with my husband and my two year old. Oh my for gosh. Six weeks. Uh, and it was like not, not one of those big luxurious RVs. It was like you know the right. like the little Mercedes Sprinter vans. So no, I mean it was nice. It was just like in the middle of the summer, and so it could right. get hot and uncomfortable but it was a great time and we learned so much made great connections with people and and it was just really great to get out there and interact because remember last summer was like the first time we were out in public not in lockdown for right a while so it was it was an amazing experience no i'm glad that you got that opportunity to really spread the word about borrow baby i know that i have ever since we had uh, you all involved in the book i have numerous family members who have had children in the past two years which I'm, I'm thinking there'll be some phrase that comes up from COVID babies, you know, uh, coronials. We call them coronials. There we go. I love that. Um, and I, I've 
I've made sure to tell just about all of them about Borrow Baby and have even bought a few gift certificates for the, the holidays. Um, everyone, that. everyone's loved it. They're like, why has this not existed before? Yeah. So it's just, it's amazing to hear you talk about, you know, you, you all started uh, June of 2020, I think you said, and it's now 2022. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to see how, how widespread you've become over that time. So there, there are a dozen more directions we can go, but you said something that really makes me want to like take a step back and, and think more about this. So you are a chemical engineer. Correct. So my undergraduate degree is chemical and biochemical engineering, and I worked as an engineer for 15 plus years, probably working for some of the largest uh, and most unsustainable chemical companies. I worked in plastics, uh, oil, refining, petrochemicals, um, agrochemicals, uh, wastewater treatment, and all sorts of all sorts of aspects. So mm-hmm. as a chemical engineer, I uh, I really understand materials because we, uh, I mean. The, the companies I worked for, you really manage uh, from cradle to gate, as we mm-hmm. said, right? So we're actually extracting resources from the ground, from the water, from, you know, agriculture and uh, making things out of it. And so I had a, I always had an understanding of how clothing was made and, and things like that. And, and obviously had a really good view of, of toxic chemicals and what sure. should, shouldn't be in products. So it was, it was actually funny. I, I would say, you know, when you, when you drive past like an oil refinery or something, you mm-hmm. see thousands of pipes and you're like, what's, what's the deal? Those are all recirculation pipes usually. Um, so the, the level of integration and, and optimization and really getting the best use and conversion out of every molecule is something that chemical engineers are kind of trained to do. And I remember I was in a meeting and this is years ago before I got my MBA and, um, I was in a meeting and we were talking about sustainability and um, and I was like, yeah, well, I wonder, like, why do we always manage from cradle to gate or cradle to grave? Why don't we manage cradle to cradle mm-hmm. like the whole entire life cycle? And everyone laughed at me. Everyone's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> um, and that's when I kind of realized at that moment, these huge incumbent, like gigantic companies that have a lot of power uh, and a lot of money, they're not going to make any changes. They have a mandate of making their shareholders money and they wouldn't do it unless it made the money. And, and, mo- and most often, if you're going to change your monetization model, it's going to be very expensive to make that pivot. Um, so they're only going to make that pivot if like their business model is, is in like dire straits and it's going to, it's going to fail. Um, so I, I realized at that moment that, that there's an opportunity uh, because these companies were not going to move on circularity. So it had to come from startups and disruption. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I didn't really know how to apply it and what to apply it to. And I was actually looking more into ways of applying it to like chemicals in a B2B sense. But again, right. uh, B2B is very hard, right? Because businesses are not going to change their business unless there's some reason why they have to. Uh, yeah, unless not- there's pressure, right? Exactly. So where does that pressure come from? And I actually think in the U.S., the pressure comes from consumers. Consumers and and people drive legislation in this in this country. Whereas I'm sure you've heard Eric say the same thing. Uh, in Europe, it's kind of the opposite. The government kind of drives the protection around around uh, people. Whereas you know the U.S. is the other way around. Yeah. So we kind of have to fight for it. So I just saw a lot of potential in the in the consumer space. But I, again, I didn't know how to apply it, and I didn't know what business model. I then went to business school. Columbia and um, met my husband, uh, got married, had a had a daughter. And when she was about five months old, 
and I had cycled through three sizes of clothing and I was standing in a tiny apartment up to my knees in clothes. <laughs> Right. And I'm like, like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. Right. I'm like, what do I do with these clothes? Right. And uh, and I was like, well, I don't want to like hand them down. I don't have anyone to hand them down to. And I don't have space to store it because we were like in a small apartment. And I was like, well, you know, I'm an engineer. Let me look into if there's a way that I can recycle them. And when I did the research, uh, I found out that we don't recycle anything in this US in the US, like not a no. huge surprise to me, but I was actually surprised because there's so much intrinsic value left in clothing that we're not utilizing and we're literally just throwing it out. Um, I think the stat now is like 60% of the clothing you buy, you throw out within 12 months. That's insane. That's insane. That's an immense amount of waste. And I'm, and I believe it's even worse in the children's sector. Not that there's a stat on this, but you're literally outgrowing clothing every three months. So you almost don't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you don't, you have to buy new clothes. Your kids don't fit into it anymore. So so I just knew that I could take the principle of circularity uh, and apply it to the fashion space. And when I started, I mean, anyone in fashion and, and retail, you know, they were like, you're crazy. This makes no sense. And I'm like, oh, no, it makes sense. It right. makes a lot of sense. It's just that it's so different from what people do today. And so um, it, it's starting to really gain, gain a lot of traction. And I love hearing that, that, you know, in the initial stages when you had this idea and you were speaking with individuals who are already in the market, their initial reaction is that's not going to work. Like, are you, are you stupid? Are you crazy? Yeah. yeah. And now it's, now it's working. I mean, goodness sakes, a year and a half, more than a year and a half later, mm-hmm. and you're traveling across the country for Christ's sake. Yeah. But I, I, I love hearing though, that you sort of ended up in this whole other world other than what you thought when you were <laughs> clearly in chemical engineering part of your life. So when, when throughout this whole shift and this discovery of the circular economy, when did you finally have that moment of you're like, okay. I'm actually going to start this company now. And what what was that like in the early stages? Wow. That's I still feel like we are in the early stages. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, but it really early on um I mean I just made the commitment like so I will say that um becoming a mom is a very transformational experience. Um you you start caring about things that you never cared about before. You start thinking about life in a timeline longer than your own life, you right. know? Um so I was working at companies where I clearly didn't align ethically with what they were doing. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't, couldn't go on with that. Um, I, I knew what they were doing. I knew how dangerous it was, how hazardous it was. I knew th- right. about the greenwashing. I knew, you know, all of that. And I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I just felt like, you know, is, is my daughter going to be proud of me if I just continue this way? I um, and I, and I knew she wouldn't be. So I, I knew I just had to do something different. And so I actually quit my job like before before COVID. Uh, and Columbia, oh, no. yeah, Columbia has- Little did you know. I know, little did I know. I could have, uh, yeah. But anyway, so I, I just made the decision. I was like, you know, if I'm going to do something, it's going to be now. Um, right. Or I'm just going to like rot in this job that I have no passion for. <laughs> um, and I don't agree with the ethics of the business. And that's just a really, it's a really hard thing to wake up to and go right. go into every day. Um, and I knew that I, sh- I could just build something amazing if I had the right team and, and I really understood the business fundamentals. But I saw the opportunity there. And there's a lot of pain points uh, being an American mom. I mean, we get like zero help. Uh, right. we're, more of us work than like any other country. We get minimal time off. Um, it, it's And then we're also responsible for the majority of like the, up, the, like, the raising of the child, right? So sure. like, when it comes to buying clothes, cleaning clothes, putting clothes away, donating clothes, storing clothes, 99% of the time it's the mom that's doing right. that. Um, so 
it's just, it's just really hard. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I decided one day to just quit my job and everyone thought I was nuts because I had, (laughs) I had a good job (laughs) and, uh, and I went into, so I was a graduate from, uh, the EMBA class in Columbia and they actually have like a little accelerator down on Barrick street in, in Manhattan. Um, and it's a startup lab. So there was like, you know, 40 or 60 other startups in there. So you apply to get in, you like pitch your business idea and mm-hmm. then they help you. Um, they connect you with other entrepreneurs and mentors and things like that. But for the first few months, I actually just started with market research. So there, the, it's a really difficult market. Um, you know, we, we have a really unique position. We sell clothing new and then we recollect that clothing and we resell it. But when you're focused only on the resale market, um, a lot of these companies are struggling to be profitable or cash flow positive, and they've been mm-hmm. around for ten years, like Thread Up or at the Runway. Um, you know, like their valuations are are like in the toilet right now, um, and they raised a lot of money. So I wanted to learn. Um, and at the time, they weren't publicly traded. Now they are, so you have all that financial information at your fingertips. But right. at the time, I actually spent months doing research on all of these companies to try to learn what do they do right? And what do they do wrong? And like, why is this not, why do the unit economics not make sense? And how does this work? Um, so I did a lot of, I mean, my financial model is quite complex, but I did a lot of work trying to learn from businesses that did it right and businesses that did it wrong and try to like add elements together to make the business model work. And then what we did was we actually started, um, we had a, we did like a beta test of our website. It was e-commerce only at this time. And uh, we locked the website and we only let, you know, like 30 or 50 so women participate. And what we did was we actually listed fast fashion and our partner brands next to one another. And what we did was we played with pricing to see at what point would a mom, well, first of all, to prove that mom would, moms would rent clothing because a lot of right. people at that time didn't believe they would and they absolutely will. And the other thing we were proving is at what price point would people choose like ethically made clothing, sustainable and organic clothing over fast fashion. And there is a point that they will, you know, and it's just, it's hard to compete on the sticker shock. But the interesting thing is, and I'm sure we'll get into it, fast fashion is not made to be durable. So even though you think you're saving money, you're buying a lot more quantity of fast fashion. So it's probably a wash at the end of the day. But yeah, so we, we did a bunch of testing there. And then finally, when we thought that we had a good enough business model, we went out to raise money. And of course, that was at the very beginning of the pandemic where no one knew how COVID was being, you know, contracted. And people thought that like through clothes, surfaces, you know, anything. So it was a very weird time to raise money because assets were essentially frozen. Like no one wanted to invest in anything. Um, I will say that the children's market in general is a bit COVID pandemic proof. Uh, because they grow no matter what. So you're going to have to buy clothes. It's not it's not like a, a desire or a want. It's a necessity. So we were kind of like, you know, sheltered in that way that parents were still buying clothes for their kids, but they weren't buying them for themselves because uh, everyone was in sweatpants and T-shirts and stuff <laughs> a year and a half. But no, so we we launched and we basically raised a small amount of seed funding and right. put together a plan that was like, okay, in three months when I hit these metrics with the money you're giving me now, we're going to raise more money. And that's kind mm-hmm. of how we grew o- over time. So yeah, the, the beginning was really interesting. So, and, and, you know, we slowly but surely we added more and more key members. So my husband joined, you know, uh, Maris joined, she's the creative director. So she's really the main person that has like a fashion sense and a fashion background. So she does all right. the buying and manages all the relationships. So one by one, these very talented people who had really good high paying jobs slowly quit their jobs to join me, uh, which was, um, 
an amazing feeling, but also like a lot of pressure to make sure that we succeed because these people were putting a lot of faith in this company. So I wanted right. to make sure that we knew what we were doing um, and that we were, you know, constantly pivoting, listening to customers, changing, giving people what they want and, and just growing. So that's really what the past year has been. It's been proving product market fit, iterating quickly, failing, uh, improving, changing. And so it's been kind of like all over the place for the past year and a half. But now I think we're at a really good position where we know what we're doing. Uh, we know that our product resonates and we're just going to explode and grow from this point on. Now we know what we're building. Right. I'm, I'm just sitting here shaking my head pretty much because it's just unbelievable to hear how quickly things have progressed. And I, I'm just so excited to see, you know, when we touch base again next, you know, where, where's Borrow Baby going to be at that point? So it's, it's just fantastic. Congratulations on on. Thanks finding your foothold and, and running after that. But I, I definitely, just to preface, I definitely didn't do it alone. So even the whole entire time I was, I was the only one on like the team, I was like, you know, full time. I, I was still getting help from Maris, from Rich. Um, right. and we have like a, a really badass advisory board. Um, you know, some like the former CEO and, and CFO of Bed Bath & Beyond. And we have like some amazing entrepreneurs, David Olk, uh, Jack Kaplan, he was the guy who invented gift cards, like all of these people that I met throughout our time, um, like really starting the business really helped guide us. So, I mean, right. I, I, I might've been the only full-time you know, <laughs> unemployed <laughs> person, but, but people were helping guide the, the entire time. So I couldn't have, I definitely couldn't have done it alone. And this is a business model that, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not like a tech company where you could just have like two people just, you know, um, you know, sitting at their laptops, away. typing exactly. away, right? Yeah, this is something that I mean, it's it's I I view it as a tech company. It's materials tech uh, right. is really what we're doing, and I think that's the next phase. Because um, I always say, you know, I I saw this quote and I thought it was so perfect. You, you can't code your way out of climate change. You need right. people who are willing to take on materials challenges. You need people who understand materials and what to do with them and how to optimize them and how to you know renew them instead of deplete. Um, finite resources. So. Right. And make, it just makes me so happy to see businesses like yours that that realize the value that stems from a circular economy. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're focused on human needs. We're trying to meet the demand of the market, but we're understanding that, hey, guess what? Environmental regeneration is actually at the, the heart of the circular economy. We're mm -hmm. lessening our demand on natural resources by keeping things in use. And that's exactly what you're doing with, with Borrow Baby and, and children's clothing. I mean, it's a, a whole world that I had no idea about fashion when mm -hmm. I when I started, you know, really diving deep into the circular economy and and starting to write the book. There's there's the, a chapter 18. I'll never forget the yeah. number. And it is without a doubt the longest yeah. chapter in the book, because out of all industries, you know, fashion is the one that probably has the room for the most improvement. Absolutely. Very fragmented. Yeah. It's but it touches everyone. It's a huge industry. It's global. There and there's just so much improvement. And it's not it's not a um you know a, a want type of category. It's it's a need. I mean, depending on where you live, you wear it to stay warm, but it's also a, an opportunity for self-expression, which you know kind of leads into the issues of of fast fashion and the actual utilization rate for clothing is going down. Yeah. So do you think that this this utilization rate decline is because clothing isn't durable? Or is it this fast fashion that's causing most of the decline? 
Yeah, I think I definitely think it's a combination. I mean, this this decline, and I'm sure I think the Ellen MacArthur Foundation actually has it. It's like totally linked to the rise of fast fashion. Right. And in fast fashion has a few components to it. It's like really low quality product. So it's not really meant to be durable. And then they also pair that with like really clever marketing to convince you that you need new styles um, all the time. So way back in the day, even when I was growing up, um, you know, fast fashion didn't exist more than 30 years ago. It's a relatively new concept, but people think it's so um, like pervasive and that it can't go anywhere. And then I constantly remind people it didn't exist 30 years ago. So to go back to a world where it doesn't exist again, isn't that far-fetched. Um, but I remember when I was younger, uh, you know, we would buy clothes before school started. And then like, right. you know, right around since I grew up in New Jersey, right around when it would get warmer because you would need warm, you know, warmer clothes. So um, there was only two seasons, you know, autumn, winter, spring, summer. And <laughs> um, that was it. And you didn't like go shopping every month for new stuff. And, you, you know, you repeated outfits and it wasn't that big of a deal. And what fast fashion has done is basically made it seem like you constantly something need something new. Right. And that's just very clever marketing, to be honest with you, to to make to convince people that they need to buy something when it's completely not a need is just really clever marketing. So and that's propped up by social media and, you know, all of these advertising, sure. you know, people, you know, not outfit repeating on Instagram and all of this stuff. I mean, uh, you know, like Zara and H&M get new clothes in like I think weekly or biweekly, mm -hmm. which is insane. Um so it's it's kind of like a combination of both. It's um, convincing you that uh, that you need new stuff all of the time in order to stay relevant and not be embarrassing. And then and then the other element is even if you did want to repeat wear those clothes, good luck because they're not designed to do that. They're very yeah. poor, very poorly made. Yeah, and you hit on something really important there, which is the social component of what drives fashion. And it's great to see that emerging generations seem to be fighting against this idea of fast fashion acknowledging the pitfalls of the fashion industry and demanding more from their products. But we're also seeing this idea of recapturing waste to make something new become more prominent in mainstream media, which makes me extremely happy. So a secret of mine, and I guess it's not really a secret because I tell people to watch it all the time, but I'm a huge fan of the show Queer Eye and especially Tan France. He's my absolute favorite. I've been able to take so much of his advice to create my own style out of clothes that I already have. And on his new show, Next in Fashion, one of the challenges actually required contestants to use denim. That's all they could work with. And the contestant who actually won that challenge didn't use any of the denim that was given to him at the start of the challenge, but he circled around and collected scrap denim from all of the other competitors' workstations. It was an absolute masterpiece and really highlighted the value of what we all consider just to be waste. So not only are we seeing this increased interest in repurposing waste material, but we're also seeing trends that that our parents helped create. I mean, we're talking 30, 40 years ago, this stuff came out. Mm -hmm. Trends circulate. Like yeah, you yeah. start to see people wearing outfits that probably belonged in the 70s or 80s. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And there's a lot of um, like market research to back this up. So when you look at net channel shift in consumer behavior over the next five years, the top three trends are secondhand rental um, and resale. Uh, and it's essentially and, and you know, it's it's well covered that uh, people and, and, you know, consultants believe that uh, resale and the secondary market is going to eat fast fashion in the next 10 years. Uh, wow. And that's fantastic. And a lot of that has to do, again, back to the, the U.S. focus here. It's on consumer demand 
and consumer behavior shift. And I would say you're seeing a big change in millennials. I mean, I'm like a, what they call a zennial. So like a really old millennial, like right <laughs> in between Gen X and millennials. I'm one of the young millennials. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a shift in millennials, but in even like wildly different behavior in Gen Z's. And we've seen it because Gen Z's are now entering the age, you know, like, you know, in early twenties or so where right. they're starting to have children and their behavior is so wildly different. It like, you know, I, I was always a big like uh, fan of secondhand and I buy vintage clothes even when I was younger, right. but it, it wasn't something I bragged about. I'll tell you that much, you know, because people yeah. would make fun of you for it. And now right. people are so proud to participate. And when you see, I mean, you see these TikToks all the time where, you know, Gen Z's are talking about their clothes and they'll mix and match. They'll have like a, you know, $400 Gucci shoes with like a $3 yep. thrifted shirt. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know, it's like so <laughs> different from what, uh, what it was like when, when I was growing up or even as an adult, like how we would shop. Um, so I think the social component is really that, you know, all these issues and, challenges that are going to arise from climate change, it's really going to affect younger people more so than older people. So right. they're, they're, it's really, I mean, it, it, it's really hitting home for them and they're, they're really proud to participate in things that are more sustainable. Um, yep. And, you know, like I've, I, it, this happened at Bar Baby, actually, we went viral on TikTok back in February and it was just me telling the story of why I started the company um, and asking people to like, give us a try. And it went viral to the point where we had to pull the video um, because oh we, got, we got like 2000 plus orders in one. Well, that's a good problem to have. Yeah, it is until you have 2000 orders that you can't fill and it's oh, no. product. Yeah. So we managed around it and it was fantastic. Um, right. And I wish I could have just let it go completely viral, but uh, it probably would have ruined my business. <laughs> um, but we got a bunch of um, Gen Z's um, like unconnected to one another. And they were asking me for pre-loved gifts for baby showers. And oh. I was like blown away. I was like, well, what did you like? I actually like personally texted the, the, the whip, the, these women. Right. And I was like, are you sure? Because giving a, a used gift in my age range is like completely taboo. No one would do right. that. These girls who are, you know, 18 years younger than me were like, uh, no, my friend is going to love this. Hello. Like what's wrong with you? Like That's the fact amazing. that I was asking them again. Yeah. They were like, oh no, my friend would be so proud that I was able to find something that was secondhand. Um, right. and you have a lot of women too, are, who are having baby showers. They don't want anyone to buy them anything. It's right. just too much excess, too much stuff that you don't really need. Right. So, um, no, it's really amazing to see the, the consumer behavior shift. And again, I think that's going to be the main driver in all of these things with respect to circularity, sustainability. And I have personally, um, obviously I'm a bit biased, but I have a lot of faith in moms, uh, to really push the sustainability agenda forward. Um, and it's interesting because I came from a business where I was like, you know, in the minority, right? right. So I was an engineer, mostly male dominated field. And then I came into the world of circularity and sustainability. It's the complete opposite. It's like yep. flooded with women. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that women are really pushing forward this, this critical shift in our culture. I mean, I've always said if, if you let women run the world, we'd be dealing with a lot less shit than we are right now. That's for sure. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with... Um, you know, the care, uh, sure. and the feelings that you have once you have children and, and like how, how much you worry about their future and like, how can you set them up for success right. and make sure that they're happy. And, you know, and I think like climate change is a scary thing to, to think about, you know, especially when I'm not around anymore to protect my daughter, what, what, what is she going to do? You know? Right.
So transitioning a bit here into materiality, mm-hmm. what makes up the clothes? Which materials are we using? Which ones are we not? Um, I know that if you you touched on it earlier that combining different materials into one uh, makes it a lot harder to manage that material when it's reached the end of its life. Um, so I, I think that the place to start, and I, I'm sure I'm going to learn some some details from you on this, microfibers. It's assumed that between 2015 and 2050, and I'm reading it off here, 22 million tons of microfibers will be polluted into the natural world, mostly into the ocean. So as an industry then, how do we begin to even tackle this? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not only about polluting the environment. So it's, it's about like it's, it's permeating into human beings' bodies is what like I think every week we eat the equivalent of a bottle cap of plastic. Every oh my week, gosh. Every week, right. So when you think about this, that's going into your children. That's going into you. Like, what does that do to you? Um, and and people can't see it. So they don't really see it as a, like a huge threat. Um, but it's definitely there. And so like when we're talking about clothing, microfibers is obviously a big challenge. Um, but when we're talking about the clothing that we choose to carry at Barbie, mm-hmm. just the fiber itself, like not discussing all of the thousands of chemicals that that um, come in contact with those fibers. But right. talking about the fiber itself, we choose natural fiber. Uh, we try to stay away from all synthetics, um, not only because when you mix them with natural fibers, they become uh, uneconomical to recycle, but right. also because they're sourced from finite resources um, and uh, they don't degrade naturally. Uh, and so if there's no way to recycle it and it doesn't degrade naturally, and if it does degrade, it's actually polluting by creating microplastics when it breaks down, it's not a viable solution for a circular economy. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, and there's a host of other issues too, like the amount of chemicals that are added, what it does to your skin, right. um, where you're essentially wearing plastic. Uh, people don't really realize that, but right. there's a lot of issues that arise from, from doing that because you're not letting the biggest organ in your body breathe. Right. Um, but yeah, there's, um, we, we choose to, to not carry synthetic fiber, um, for those reasons. They're not, they're not renewable <laughs> and, right. um, and they're not recyclable today at, 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 at any scale that makes sense. Um, so, so we choose to stay away from it. The, the microplastics problem is like a huge issue. And I think what they're trying to do, what what most industries are focused on is like single use plastics, yep. um, right? So they're focused on reducing single use plastics, which obviously makes a lot of sense. But when you think about clothing, right? If I'm throwing away sixty percent of what I what what I bought less than twelve months ago, that's a single use plastic as well. Mm-hmm. So you're wearing it once or twice, you're throwing it out. Um, so I think fashion is really the next industry to come under this type of scrutiny. Um, not only for waste generation, but also for material safety, because this industry is really unregulated. Um, So we can get into detail if you want about like the chemicals that are added and how those aren't regulated and how toxic and dangerous they can be. Um, But uh, yeah, there's there's a whole host of issues that I think uh, the next five to 10 years, fashion is really going to come under the microscope. Um, and these are issues that we've seen with single-use plastics. Obviously, straws was, was a big one, you know, and now pl- plastic bottles, you know, and and people focusing on material safety around CPG products, um, their food. I think fashion is really the next wave of of like uh, consumerism um, and and like consciousness around what's going on in that industry. 
Right. So when, when you're talking about the, the fibers that you are using, they're all natural. Are we talking just cotton? Yeah. So cotton, merino wool, uh, linen, uh, and then there's some like semi-synthetics like bamboo, which depending on how you manufacture it, it has a minimal impact, but it's biodegradable. So we're trying to really like hone in on, on, I mean, if I could in an ideal world, it would just be linen, merino wool, hemp. If we can actually build an industry in the United States that manufactures clothing with hemp, because it was illegal for so long and cotton mm -hmm. is what I would really focus on. Uh, Cause those are things that can be regrown. Um, and, and if you actually, you know, pay attention to how you grow it, it could be, uh, definitely renewable. Right. No, it's fantastic. And, you know, there's, there's sort of a transition that needs to, needs to happen then in, in the fashion industry of, you know, the first step really phasing out materials that we shouldn't be using in fashion at all. And it, it without a doubt, Borrow Baby has achieved that, you know, really the next the next goal then, once you have the right materials in place, to keep them in play for as long as possible. And I'm I'm curious to know when you're when you're cycling these items of clothing, what what are we looking at in terms of how many cycles does an item of clothing get before you have to compost it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on average, I'm estimating that we can cycle them like three to five times. So four okay. times on average, and that's different, right, for each type of category. So sure. Jack you'll probably be able to cycle nine or 10 times and maybe a bodysuit less so. Um, but the amazing thing is, I mean, you know, when, when I told you when I started this idea, everyone said I was crazy. Um, yeah. Focusing on natural fiber actually makes so many things easier, right? So like it makes recycling easier. It makes yep. composting possible. It also makes getting stains out of clothing really easy because with children, oh. usually stains are organic are organic and getting organic stains out of or an organic fiber is quite simple. Um, it's when you have synthetic blends, it actually like it's wrapped around the fibers and it, it like traps stains. So it's a lot easier. It's a lot more difficult to get clothing out of uh, synthetic blends. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. So cleaning, there's a science to it, of course. Uh, we also don't dry clean clothing because dry cleaning uses a group 2A carcinogen. So I wouldn't use wouldn't have children's <laughs> clothing touch that. Um, but uh, this is something that a lot of other rental platforms use. It's obviously um, really costly, uh, right. but it's, it's a necessity for a lot of the types of materials that they're using, not a necessity for us. So um, we only use natural fiber. We only wash with water-based, um, you know, EWG verified detergents. Uh, we're using all natural ways of getting rid of spots. It's um, it's a it's so funny because to me it's like so simple. It's essentially the way we used to do things. Fifty. No, that's what's beautiful right? about it is yeah. it's simplicity. It's like a no-brainer. Yeah, but when you have all of these other blends and you have all these complex materials, getting stains out is harder. Or dry cleaning is more difficult. Right. You know, it's just it just complicates everything. And, and we just try to keep it as simple as possible because it is a complex business model. So let's not sure. complicate it anymore. Yeah, I can only imagine. Goodness sakes. But three to five rotations, that's actually I was thinking it'd probably be two to three. But I'm, I'm really happy to hear that it can be stretched out to, you know, four, maybe five. So the interesting, I mean, I'm an engineer, so I always err on the side of like caution and I over-design things. And there's yeah. other companies outside of the U.S. because um, the U.S. is like at least five to 10 years behind Europe in circularity and even mm -hmm. some Asian countries, um, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of embarrassing to be quite honest because we're supposed to be like the innovators. And, oh, of course. And we're so far behind. Um, but uh, that kind of helps me because I can always anchor and say, you know, there's a company in, there's a few companies in Europe that do this one in Canada, they've been around longer than me and they actually state 
uh, five to 10 terms. So five oh, to wow. 10 terms they can rent uh, items out to. I have a little bit less faith in the American public to be able to <laughs> take care of the clothing that well. Yeah. Um, so I estimate, you know, four times. And even with four times, even with two times, I'm more profitable than linear retail. Right. So it's a compelling business model at the end of the day. It's it's all about execution and doing it the right way. Um, so, I mean, I we've already, uh, you know, we, we have we've only been around for a year and a half. And the average rental length is four months. So, you know, in order to get uh, a garment cycled through five times, it's going to take a little while. Uh, but we've are already, um, from the very beginning, like our beta test, we've cycled some of those garments uh, across mm -hmm. five families. Wow. So, yeah, that's um, that's quite an achievement. I'm, I'm really happy you brought up again that you've actually been more profitable utilizing the circular economy principles than you would have been if this was just a, a linear process. Absolutely. That's the whole point, right? You have to be yeah. uh, more profitable and more efficient and give a better product for people to actually try to adopt something new and different. You're you're spot on also by saying that the United States is is way behind when it comes to supply chain management and resource management and I'm I'm finding it funny the more the more individuals I speak with that are, you know, focused on circular economy in their certain industry, I'd say about 9 out of 10 of them they don't even live in the United States. And really, this is, again, going back to why I thought it was really important to write the book is because U.S. businesses really are far behind when it comes to utilizing the circular economy and realizing how valuable waste can be. So it's important for me to elevate companies like Borrow Baby who have proven that the circular economy can not only be a good business model, but it also has one hell of an impact on the environment. And, and I just I could not help but have you on to, to talk about how it's it's at the core of your business. If anyone listening in wants to, I encourage you to, go ahead and go to borrowbaby.com. That's B-O-R-O-B-A-B-I. And look around, see what they got. I know I got my sister a, a gift card to Borrow Baby just for, for Christmas. So um, she loves it. <laughs> I, mean, I guarantee she'll be coming back once her, her kid gets a little older. So Also check out In The Loop. It's our blog. We talk about a lot of things, material safety, circularity, uh, motherhood. And we also have the Circular Frontier, which is our YouTube channel. And that's kind of the whole story of our, our trip cross country, as well as just like how to build a business um, and all the challenges. So we've actually uh, been recording our entire, uh, like since the beginning of the company, we've been recording everything. I love so it. All, yeah. So all of that's going to come in through, it's essentially like a docu-series we're putting together um, to kind of like show how we built the business and Right. Uh, all the challenges associated with that. So it's it's going to be interesting. And that includes like all the other entrepreneurs that we connected with that are in this space as well. We have like, we have probably more than a year's worth of content wow. um, because we've been recording for two years. So, um, so at least like, yeah, so you're going to see a new video every week. So I think this next video is about the importance of people. And then we go into all of the other entrepreneurs that we met. Um, so keep a lookout for that. Wow. It, really cool entrepreneurs and, and business owners that are like making uh, like real headway in, in other sectors. It's right. To see. So people can follow you on, I would assume, Instagram, any other platforms that you're using? Yeah. So we're on Instagram, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok. But uh, our YouTube channel for this whole like road trip is called The Circular Frontier. It's not necessarily like just borrow baby related content. There's a lot of other content on there. Right. Um, so we kind of branded it differently. It's The Circular Frontier. 
So are there any pieces of advice that you'd be willing to offer to anyone listening in who maybe just started a new business or who is an entrepreneur in the fashion industry? I think for entrepreneurs, it's really like never give up. I mean, you have to keep working hard towards things and entrepreneurship is definitely the, the hardest thing you'll ever do. Right. Um, and I think as a mom, it's really difficult to balance. Um, Even but harder think, as a mom. Yeah, it's really difficult to balance time away. But I think when you're doing something that is purposeful and, and meaningful to you, then um, and it's something that you know your children would be proud of, then it's a completely different, uh, completely different game there. So you know, try to stay connected. I think like when moms combine together, we're really you know absolutely unstoppable. So that's kind of what right. we're trying to do at Borrow Baby, and you know we're we're women run, really mother run, and uh, probably more than ninety five percent of our our staff are, are women. So. That's amazing. Um, we have a, yeah, we have a lot of faith in the power of, of the collective woman. So, Such a great way to end our episode with a little encouragement for mothers and entrepreneurs. I feel like I could probably talk to you for another hour or two. Uh, we have reached the end. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining us. Thank you so much for telling us about Borrow Baby. Again, I encourage everyone listening in, if you are a mother or know a mother, uh, go ahead and visit Borrow Baby's website. Again, that's B-O-R-O-B-A-B-I dot com. And to you again, Carolyn, thank you so much. And yeah, we'll be talking soon. Awesome. Thanks. 